The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love. Like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. Welcome to another rendition of the Streak of the Lawn podcast. My name is Pierce. Thanks for tuning in. I've got with me a couple of my fellow Streak in the Lawn-ers here. Brian, say hello. Hey, guys. All right. And uh, I've got Danny. Hey, how's it going? Uh, doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing well. All right. Good, Good to hear. And we've got a very, very special guest with us tonight, uh, Mr. Ken Pomeroy. Ken, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your schedule. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, we, we are looking forward to it as well. Uh, for those listening at home, uh, you can find Ken on the Twitter. He's famous for his uh, pace rankings, I would say, or, or rankings that, that – Explain basketball on a possession-by-possession possession level is the best way I saw it surmised. Would you say that's fair, Ken, in terms of, of what your tempo-free statistics put out there? Yeah, I think that's a phrase that uh, John Gassaway, who now writes for <laughs> ESPN.com, has a trademark on, but that's the most accurate way to describe them, tempo-free. Take the, take the style nice, out of it. And just- nice. <laughs> Well, I'm all about uh, using copyrighted uh, phrases that I didn't come up with, so uh, we'll go ahead and, and keep with that. Um, we, we're, we're excited, obviously, in the possession-by-possession possession, uh, look at, at teams. I think that certainly favors the style of play that the UVA uh, puts out there and a lot of times, particularly, I think, between um, the start of, of Tony Bennett's start at UVA and maybe before the championships were won, there was a lot of uh, what we like to call pacism, uh, maybe looking down on Virginia's program for not playing as fast as some of the other top programs. And and your rankings have always uh, looked favorably of, upon the Virginia team. And, and certainly that, that can, is continued this year. We, we've got uh, in your preseason ratings, Virginia's right at number three, right, in, in the country. Uh, which is certainly exciting for us, and certainly we all have high expectations. Um, I want to, you know, just in general, maybe we should start off talking a little bit about uh, UVA's upcoming season. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on Virginia coming off, you know, a second straight regular season uh, ACC title, but again, a second straight year of losing losing to Michigan State uh, earlier in the NCAA tournament than we would have liked? Um, do you see UVA as, as being – another contender for uh, a number one seed or number two seed and, and obviously that ACC title again? Yeah, uh, they should be in the in the mix, certainly for the ACC championship again and in a number one seed. Uh, both of those things are, are a lot more difficult to get than maybe UVA has made it look the last couple of years. So, uh, um, you know, bear that in mind, I guess. <laughs> sure. I mean, the, you know, the team certainly, I think, talent-wise on, you know, a similar level with those previous two teams – maybe a slight notch below 
Um, but the top of college basketball is a slight notch below what it's been the past couple of years as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, you'd certainly think just, just based on that, that they'd have a, a pretty good shot at, uh, you know, they'll definitely be contending for an ACC title, whether they win or not. Duke and North Carolina are going to have a lot to say about that. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. I think a lot of the top teams uh, looking at preseason rankings, whether it be yours or, or the AP poll coming out and such, that there's a lot of unknown in those top teams. Um, you know, Duke at number one, well, you've got – uh, Matt Jones and and uh, what's the other Emil Jefferson? I'm, you know, it's it's the star players. You're 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 not sure who's going to step up again as a freshman, whether that be for the Kentuckys or Duke or even I, uh, you know, Villanova, Arizona, those other top guys. I, I think UNC we see a lot uh, in the or the AP poll that came out today uh, because they've got the senior leader in Marcus Page, uh, but even they'll be relying on on freshman too. Do you think that? Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in that. Do, do you have any issues with, you know, naming freshmen to a, a preseason All-American or All-Conference team? Or, or how, how much weight can you put on somebody who hasn't played a college game before? Uh, yeah, that's a, a good question. It's difficult. I mean, I don't have any, like, philosophical yeah. objections <laughs> to, uh, you know, naming players, you know, freshmen to All-Conference or even, you know, National All-American teams. Um, but in general – you know, once you get past the top five or so freshmen, like it, it really becomes difficult to uh, project how, how other freshmen are going to play. Um, certainly over a one year span. I mean, for the most part, you know, your top 20 or 30 recruits, they will be successes over the course of their college career, however long that lasts. But um, whether, you know, um, the Diamond Stone is a good example from Maryland, you know, whether he can come in and, you know, make an immediate impact. I mean, he's going to be a, probably, a, you know, have a great NBA career and, and make himself a lot of money at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah. But will he, will he dominate in his freshman year in college? That's, uh, you know, a different question altogether and not one that's very easy to answer. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, you know, we're, we're, we talk about unknowns this season. One of the um, unknowns is a, is a rule change that we have the new 30-second shot clock. And uh, I know you looked at that in the NIT, which was a uh, where they used the 30-second clock last year, and you found that scoring was up, as we expect. And efficiency was actually, uh, I guess it was up a small a small amount during the NIT, but it was uh, more inconclusive than anything. Do you have any, uh, I guess, intuition for how that will manifest itself this season, and, and also um, whether some teams will benefit that from that more than others? Yeah, that last question is really the one that uh, if somebody knows the answer could look really smart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't uh, done any more investigation than I did, you know, with the, the data that we had at the end of last season. I mean, that's about all, all you can do with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I do expect tempo to go up a little bit this season. Um, I expect scoring to go up a little bit. You know, every once in a while I, I talk to someone and I hear, you know, like they tell me about like a coach here, or a coach there that actually, you know, thinks that scoring will go down this season. And it's almost like an urban legend, you know, you kind of want to know like who, who said that. And they'll be like, well, you know, my uncle knows like this athletic director in this conference and he, I don't know who exactly who said it, but you can never figure out who's saying these things, but I would be willing to, to make a, you know, decent wager with any coach out there that, that scoring will in fact go up this season. In fact, scoring probably would have gone up anyway because it was at an all time low basically. So, you know, when things are, are at all time lows, they, they tend to uh, regress to the long-term trend. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, I kind of see that UVA would be uh, beneficial for that, considering all the shot clock violations they would be getting 
already with the 35 second now even lower i can uh, see them benefiting a lot from that yeah i mean it, you know it does cut both ways so you would think okay you know these teams like uva that play pack line or, or teams that that play zone um you know they do tend to force longer uh opponent possessions and um they're going to be you know forcing teams to take more shots late in the shot clock but um you know the issue with um uva as well is that their their offense takes a long time too i mean and in fact relative to the national average their offense was actually slower than their their defense was last year so hmm. you know they'll have to make some adjustments offensively to avoid you know, having that issue themselves of, of playing possessions late in the shot clock and you know endangering their uh, offensive efficiency that way mm-hmm. um looking at your rankings right now it's uh, i see that you have virginia as number one on the defensive part um is that looking at both of the uh, adjusted offense and adjusted defense, which do you think is like the better indicator of success? Because if you look last year on your 2015, like a couple of the top teams, like the final four teams were in the adjusted offense, but only like Kentucky was adjusted defense. Yeah. I mean, I tend to uh, not necessarily favor either one, although, you know, some of the work I did in the off season about figuring out kind of who is more in control of, of the game, offense or defense, you know, that, that's kind of swayed me to thinking that, um, you know, it's a little bit more favorable to be better offensively than defensively. If you had to pick one, um, obviously, you know, the idea is to be very good on both ends, but uh, if you're going to have an imbalance, I think teams that are better or stronger offensively uh, stand to have uh, a slightly more success than, than teams that are better defensively. Hmm. The idea there, I guess, is that, if you're strong in offense, you have a better control of that. And if you're strong in defense, there's a little more luck that, that works in or, or you're um, susceptible to that changing at, with, against a better offense. Is that the idea? Yeah, I mean, on the, I think part of it is that defensively you're, you know, you're just uh, kind of susceptible to whether the shot goes in or not. And even if you're forcing tough shots, sometimes the ball just goes in. Um, and so, you know, when you're – playing the guarantee games in November and December, the shots aren't, the tough shots aren't going to go in because those teams aren't capable of making easy shots sometimes. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in conference play, when you're playing teams that are roughly on your level, you know, even if you're one of the top five teams in the country, if you're playing the top 25 team, um, you know, they have guys, they all have guys that can make shots for the most part. And uh, even if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing defensively, uh, you know, if you can't take the ball away from them, uh, they're getting shots off some nights those shots are going to go in. And so uh, I think that is explains at least part of the reason that the offense is in slightly more control of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed that you wrote like a long series uh, the past month or so about you analyze each stat, like steals, blocks, rebounds. Which one do you think was like the, the one that popped the most? We thought was like the most important. Like, whoa, look at that. That's why all those teams won. Yeah, uh, it was a, an excruciatingly long series, <laughs> but it was, for, me, for me, it was like really, it was really fascinating to kind of look at all the stats and figure out, um, you know, what the offense had control of and also just like what was more uh, susceptible to luck, um, you know, random variance, I guess. We want to uh, avoid the L word. Uh, you know, the interesting thing to me, so there were a lot of things, like the most important thing by far, like that, you know, both sides kind of had influence on and there was less random variance involved with shot selection. So, uh, you know, how many threes a team takes in a particular game is, is more predictable than really any other stat. 
um, if you know, you know, the offensive and defensive tendencies of each team, um, you can get a pretty accurate forecast of that. But shooting percentages are actually among the, the least predictable, uh, which I found pretty interesting. You know, we kind of already knew that with three-point percentage, but this just kind of hammered that home. I mean, free throw percentage is another one that is really interesting. Like, certainly there are teams that have more skill at making free throws than others, but in an individual game, you know, even the best teams are going to have um, some pretty bad games, you know, two or three bad games a year with free throw shooting. And you know, mm-hmm. to me, I always like – it's always about to me kind of looking at the process. You want to find out if a team's really playing well. You, can't, you have to get kind of beyond – wins and losses and look at, Hey, you know, is the process good? And uh, the process is about, you know, forcing tough shots and, um, you know, offensively, like for instance, free throw shooting, you know, it's really about getting to the free throw line uh, mm-hmm. more so than actually making your free throws. So um, kind of rambling there, but those are no, some, no, some of the things that I learned. It was, it was a fun project. All about the process. I mean, it sounds straight out of every post game, Tony Bennett, conference i've heard uh you know when he when he gets asked he's always saying uh you know if you're doing the things right hopefully that that leads to a win uh but if it doesn't if it still leads to a loss but the process is there then that means you're on the right path and and it's certainly something we heard especially when the talent wasn't there and the the wins were coming but maybe not you know as often as as fans would like um i do i thought it was interesting about adding the the series analyzing the the different types of stats is there something that frustrates you still about the system uh, of analysis, something that, you know, like impacts the game that, that can't, you know, be measured analytically, like, like even steals or, or field goal percentage or free throw amounts and such. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, when I started doing this, there was, there was less, you know, a lot less data than there is now. So I'm sort of thankful for whatever we have. I mean, certainly like, looking at shot selection uh, is, you know, about all we can do is look at twos and threes. I mean, you can dig into play by play and get some idea on, you know, layups and, and non layups, but that's like skewed by, you know, depending on who's doing the, the tabulations on what a layup is and what it isn't, you know, that can really be skewed from arena to arena. Uh-huh. So, you know, having better information, I mean, you can see what's going on at the NBA, the sport view data and, you know, what they can do in terms of, looking at potential assists and, and, you know, exactly where teams are shooting from and which shots are challenged. I mean, we just don't have that information, at least on a comprehensive basis for every team. There's obviously, you know, people on each team that are charting that stuff, but uh, you know, that would, that's going to be the next frontier. And I doubt we'll we'll ever get there for, for all 351 teams just because of the the money issue. (laughs) Well, yeah, that that makes sense. Um, You know, something I've, uh, you know, we know that um, basketball, college basketball teams, NBA teams are using uh, analytics uh, more and more. But as a UVA fan, I've always wondered kind of how much does the UVA coaching staff uh, use these tools? And, and in general, I, I was wondering, do you think there's like a pretty large imbalance right now among college basketball teams in terms of uh, who's really focused on analytics and who's ignoring it? And do you think that's having a – I guess, first of all, do you think that there is a large imbalance. And second of all, do you think that that's having impact, starting to have an impact on what we see on the court? Yeah. So, I mean, undoubtedly there's a large imbalance. I mean, um, you know, there are high profile programs that are heavily invested into analytics. Um, You know, the trick is always to kind of use analytics properly. Um, But I think there's a lot of teams out there that that are doing a pretty good job of it. You know, they're, they're heavily invested in it. They understand the limitations 
Um, and they're, they're using it to make better decisions um, you know, on a day-to-day basis, whether it's with the practice plan or strategy in games or who to get playing time to or whatever. Um, and then there are other programs that for the most part are ignoring it. You know, they, they probably tell you that they use it, but um, they really don't know exactly what they're doing. They don't have an expert on their staff. Uh, and so they, you know, really struggle to kind of um, take advantage of the information. Hmm. What that means in terms of like what we're seeing on the court is a impossible to answer question, I think. I mean, it's kind of the great irony of analytics is that you really can't measure uh, what kind of difference it's making, you know, in a program. Obviously, it's not going to turn, you know, a 10-win team into a 20-win team, at least not in terms of the play on the court. It might, you know, if you use analytics and recruiting, it, it could possibly make a, a decent difference. But, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis during the season, I mean, maybe it makes a difference in a game or two over the course of the season. Obviously, you know, that can be a huge deal. It can mean the difference between a one or a two seed or getting a tournament or not. But um, uh, I think that is uh, the best way to answer that is that it is making a difference, but the quantity of difference is undeterminable. Right. And it's hard, I guess, I, it's not really a question, but, I, but, it, but it, it confers to me that it's hard. You know, I, when, I, when you watch the games, it's hard to, I guess, identify, oh, they did this. That means they really focused on the analytics. It's just there's not a, there's not a really tangible thing you can see. It's just, it, I guess it goes on in the background is the idea. Yeah. And, uh, search for that kind of, those kind of uh, actions. Right. I, you know, yeah. And you know, the thing is, I mean, really what, what it comes down to is your players, you know, do you have good players or not? And uh, <laughs> the, the level of your talent, the difference in talent between teams is often going to dwarf, you know, whatever you can make up through analytics but you know certainly you can you can watch a game and if teams are you know um taking a lot of you know 16 foot jumpers early in the shot clock you probably know that they're not too analytically focused but uh, <laughs> beyond that you know you kind of have to read between the lines of what coaches are saying in their press conferences and sometimes you can tell that yeah this coach is not he's not bought into some of the modern you know tenets of analytics um, mm-hmm. and sometimes you can tell that this guy gets it and he's like you know is kind of philosophy is governed by a lot of things, you know, his own experiences, but it's also, he's also influenced by um, some of the more advanced work that's being done in uh, analytics. So going back to that uh, discussion about uh, the changing the shot clock, what other stuff do you think the college basketball should change? Because there's all the commentators are all last year, like, oh, it's broken, he's fixing. And so it, it seems like the NCAA made the reaction to lower the shot clock and lessen the amount of timeouts. Is there anything you see out there that could uh, improve the game if it needs improving? Yeah, I mean, the timeouts uh, were, were the big thing. Um, you know, just the way the end of the game is played and the stoppages. Um, if you're, you know, if you're following a, a team that's winning the ACC title, you're probably not bothered by a bunch of stoppages at the end of the game because you're really super invested in the game. Um, uh, you know, I was just to give you an anecdote here about the slow play, you know, I'm all for like, you know, diversity of style in in the college game and that's what what makes it great. But there's a limit to the excitement level. And if you're, if you're following a team that plays slow, you're not going to care. Like they're winning. That's, that's what you're there for. I mean, you know, last year I was at the mountain West tournament and the, and the championship game final score was 45 to 43. Mm Mm-hmm. That was a super exciting game. I mean, you know, the crowd was into it. It was a fun game. There was a tournament berth on the line for one of the teams. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a thrilling game. But 
if you had no interest in that game, if you were a casual fan watching on TV, I could see where it would have been pretty difficult to to stick with it. So, um, so the game's not necessarily, you know, I'm not saying the game's broken, but it could improve. And uh, I think ultimately, ultimately, I think the way the game's going to evolve is going to evolve towards towards FIBA rules. You know, I think the next step is to move the three point line out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think you know the offense would adjust fine. And that's another kind of offshoot of what I learned in the off season was you know the, the offense would probably adjust fine. Three point attempts continue to rise, and you know if we move the line out, three point attempts might decrease for a year or two, but then they start to go back up, and you just have more space in the court, and you, shooters would have more range, and it would, uh, it would be a, um, a more interesting game with less contact. Um, so I think that's that's the direction we're heading, but uh, I don't have any like you know quirky rules that I like to see other than I wouldn't mind seeing like timeouts drastically reduced. You know, if you just had like one or two timeouts a game, I think it'd be awesome. Cause what I want to see, I want to see like coaches going upset plays. I want to see players like thinking on their own. Yeah. Making mistakes or whatever, using their athleticism to, you know, do the, the, the great things that we do um, or that they do that we like to see. So uh, that would be my only crazy rules change. But I'd be all for it. No, you're good, Schwartz. If you, uh, you I was noticing that basketball is kind of unique in that um, if a player is in trouble, you could suddenly call timeout, and you don't see that in, in other sports. It doesn't seem like it's a like it's something that's exciting to see. So I definitely agree with you there. Um, uh, we talk about changes about uh, you know that's, I guess that's that's what you'd want to change about the state of college basketball in general. Um, what would you change? I, I know you go back and forth sometimes with some uh, other media personalities, I'll leave them unnamed. Um, if you could change or eliminate one one uh, aspect of kind of common media discourse that kind of eats at you from a, from an advanced uh, analytics perspective, well, uh, what would it be? Uh, I would uh, probably be realistic about it. I would just love for us to get away from using field goal percentage. Um, hmm. you know, Three-pointers are, are made at a 34% clip and two-pointers are made at a 48% clip. And depending on the type of player you are, uh, you know, your field goal percentage, you know, field goal percentage of 40 for a guy who, you know, takes most of his shots from three point range is acceptable. If you're, you know, a post player, a field goal percentage of 40 is horrible and ditto for teams, you know, really Mm -hmm. like teams that shoot a lot of threes, uh, the standard for what their field goal percentage should be uh, is different than a team that does not shoot many threes and why we still use field goal percentage I, mean, I just don't think that's a hard change. Anybody can understand two-point percentage and three-point percentage. I think just about everybody has a good feel for what a good three-point percentage is. You know, maybe there's some limited amount of education that is necessary to uh, enlighten people on what kind of the range of two-point percentage is, but I just don't see that as being like a major step that, you know, any broadcast network could add to their coverage and, you know, any reputable um, reporter out there could, could use in their um, writing as well. Hmm. Right. I know we use like effective field goal percentage, which should capture them both. But I, I agree, even just giving two numbers, two point percentage and three, three point percentage, it seems like that's something that's easy to understand and would, would definitely make more sense to give both. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And obviously, if, you know, I, I endorse effective field goal percentage as well. That, you know, might require a tiny bit more education than just two point percentage. But I mean, that, you know, that probably wouldn't be all that difficult to, uh, implement uh to a mass audience either 
And for those uh, listening at home who are UVA fans, they uh, might not know that Ken, you're you're a hokey, and I, not that we're holding that against you, but I'm a little bit curious how how a hokey gets into the college basketball stats game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not not that we've got a great basketball tradition really to to build on, but but down in Blacksburg, it seems to be all football all the time. Uh, have have you uh, any any thoughts of, of tying that bridge together? You know how how that worked out. <laughs> uh, no, I mean uh, there there was a time when Virginia Tech had some decent basketball teams, and actually the, the Seth Greenberg was not was not all that bad. Uh, no, true, true, very true. It had some moments. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, EVA has a, an advantage in terms of facilities and you know tradition as well. I will say, I will say, just to extend the olive branch. <laughs> Growing up, I actually was a big UVA fan. Um, I could, oh. I could probably hold my own in terms of uh, like 1988 to 1992 UVA basketball. <laughs> All right, Don Stith era. But yeah, yeah, no, that that was the golden era, at least. And and as long as I've been alive, that was the golden era. <laughs> right, right. until maybe the current era for sure. Um, you know, speaking, I I think a, an interesting way to to look at um, you know the advanced stats in basketball is how it would tie into other sports. Obviously, um, you know, with with Moneyball and the whole um, baseball culture of, of advanced stats, but you don't see a lot of it in football, um, really. And and do you th- have you ever considered, or do you even just think that the way you look at stats for basketball could be applied to a, a football version? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, so first of all, oddly enough, I'm not a huge football fan, um, mm-hmm. uh, despite my, where I got my degree from, I think it makes <laughs> more sense to, to be a football fan than a basketball fan, but, uh, you know, I just like basketball better, but, you know, I'm a casual football fan, and uh, I, I, I've been tempted, you know, year after year to jump into football, it's just basketball takes so much work, I know football will take a ton of work as well, but there's like, still amazingly to me, you know, we're in 2015. And there's people out there doing good work in the advanced stats area, but there's really a huge opportunity for someone to really just kind of dive in and, and go nuts with it and kind of, you know, uh, set up something on the web that's pretty organized and allows people to get some, uh, some information that, uh, you know, you just don't hear on broadcast. I mean, t- to me, you know, again, just a fairly casual football fan, but it seems to me like the intelligence level of football uh, commentators <laughs> on TV is far <laughs> the basketball commentators you know like there's some guys that I watch on basketball that I don't like but for the most part like there's a lot of people I think that take risks and put some good information out there that people not might not be familiar with and they kind of stay up on the latest analytics but in football I mean geez like those guys they're still living in the stone ages you know it's like <laughs> yeah you know, I think they never, they never want the coach to take a risk and they, yeah. they're citing these stats you know that um just really don't identify the things that they think they're identifying and uh, so every time I hear something like that, I, I think, you know, wow, I really should, I really should like do something about this. Well, I think it'd be hard to throw out, uh, you know, he's got a really high motor uh, as a stat over and over again. Uh, but maybe we'll find a way to, to track that. I, I know we're all, you know, Ken Palm subscribers, devotees. Uh, for those listening, it's, you know, everyone agrees that it's uh, for $20 for the year, you, you basically, to look like a genius, from just looking at uh, from just going to the website, um, I know we noticed some changes uh, for this season. I know you, you, know, you broke down the 
uh, team schedules into uh, kind of different groups to kind of better understand. I think help maybe a way to better understand and strengthen the schedule. Um, do you have any? Uh, what, I guess where do you see the site going in the future? Is there any kind of big areas that you're hoping to dive into, or any other teases you would give us about what, what, what we could expect going forward? Or is that top secret yeah, information? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not. I mean, it's a little. It's there's a little part of me that makes it top secret because I'm afraid somebody, you know, one of your very intelligent listeners, well versed in computer programming, will will hear my idea and they'll implement it before I I get a chance to. But mainly, it's I I struggle to answer this because I don't exactly. I I'm bad at making plans. You know, <laughs> most of my ideas just happen uh, either because I hear something and I want to. Uh, you know, investigate it further and make it easy to investigate. And so I'll just, you know, start writing the code for that. Or uh, I'm just messing around doing random stuff. And I'm like, Oh man, it's actually pretty easy to add this to the site. And this would, this would be a cool thing to look at. Um, so I, you know, I do have some ideas. I mean, one of the things that people have bugged me about for a long time, and I'm hoping to add this year, although I make no promises, but um, is TV information to the, to the fan match page. Um, mm-hmm. Hoping to, do something with that. Uh, I'd like to get kind of like a, like a tempo free, like historical record book, I guess you could say for each team, you know, what their best, most efficient offensive games were, least efficient, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, those are a couple ideas. I got a few more things rolling around in my head, but I think those are the two that are probably the most likely to be added during the season. Nice. Are there any thoughts on uh, putting like a weekly ranking uh, because, you know, doing research, you know, for last year when Justin Anderson got injured, I was going to look up and like, oh, we were doing so well. And then he got injured, we're doing this, and I couldn't find any work. You obviously do it week by week, you know. That would be something cool to look at. Yeah. Um, no, back- okay, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that is definitely something I'd like to add as well. I get a lot of requests for that. <laughs> it's a matter of, you know, like the data, the data ends up multiplying, you know, from, you know, one, one data file per year to, uh, you know, a hundred times that for each day of the season. So that's like the holdup is kind of managing that. Um, but it's definitely, that's definitely something that I like to add as well. Um, looking at your rankings right now, I noticed a particular school at number 24, uh, it makes us here at UVA really happy that you have Maryland so low, uh, <laughs> compared to the AP and other polls that have them like top three or top four. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're obviously, uh, with respect, with respect to the, uh, analytics side of the house, they're, they're one of the more interesting teams. I mean, I'm really curious to see, uh, how things will, will unfold with them. Um, as I'm sure, you know, the audience may not know, but you know, my, my preseason ratings don't account for transfers directly. Um, so they have a couple of, Potentially high impact transfers. Certainly, Robert mm-hmm. Carter from Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. and Rashid Suleiman from Duke, the other. Although it's interesting that people consider him a high impact transfer, considering you know, <laughs> he basically turned around their season after he left. But um, yeah, you know, it reminds me a little bit of uh, like the NC State situation. I think from three years ago, where they brought back a bunch of guys that were you know considered potential NBA prospects, and they were ranked like six i believe preseason and they were kind of like borderline top 30 i think in my ratings um, mm-hmm. kind of embarrassingly low it might have been like it might have been right around 24 actually kind of around 25 but anyway uh you know i had the same feelings then it was like i mean i 
I really admire the the AP poll as I've written, you know, the preseason AP poll, there's a lot, I think, uh, of merit to it and it, it, it has some value. And so I certainly respect their opinion. Um, and I don't, uh, I'm not necessarily going to endorse that I really think Maryland's the 24th best team in the country since a bunch of other smart people feel strongly otherwise. But I will be uh, like that a uh, year or three years ago when I basically was like kind of obsessed with NC State basketball the first few weeks of the season and seeing how good or not good they were. As it turned out, they weren't that good. But um, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> obsessed with uh, the Terps early in the season this year. Yeah, that was a pretty good nuanced answer. But, we, uh, of course, you know, a lot of the Maryland blogs were really up in arms with that ranking. And we were hoping that this would be your opportunity to really say that you have a personal hatred toward Maryland. <laughs> that was the reason. <laughs> yeah it's funny i mean i think uh maryland has a very uh enthusiastic fan base as does virginia i mean if uh, if i did the same thing to virginia this season i'm sure uh not every fan would have, have sent a reasonable tweet to me about <laughs> we would not like it yeah yeah <laughs> so, you know, same way i mean there are there are a few reasonable ones out there and i think uh only the totally clueless ones don't realize that, you know, I'm not here, you know, to screw with Maryland and I don't actually control how good Maryland's going to be this year. Like if they play well, they'll, you know, be properly uh, rewarded by other people besides me, certainly. <laughs> but they'll want their vindication for sure. Um, there will be a few. I know there will be a few. I think and you, you've got on the podcast tonight with us uh, some of the least reasonable UVA fans uh, around. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure we would fall in the same boat. But uh, I think uh, that, that probably about wraps us up. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to get too much into prognostication. I mean, you can read uh, the rankings uh, for Ken Palm at, at KenPalm.com. And uh, you can find Ken on Twitter at, at Ken Pomeroy. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, we can't say enough how valuable we find it for sure. And, and especially because you hate Maryland so much and that that's the most entertaining <laughs> possible for us. Um, but I, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and say, Ken, thanks again so much for, uh, for joining us tonight. And, uh, we appreciate you taking the time and, uh, for, uh, Danny and Brian and, and I'm Pierce and for all the streaking along crew, thanks for tuning in everybody. And, uh, we'll be back sooner than later to see if we can follow up, uh, with the season, see if, uh, Virginia holds up to its preseason, uh, number three ranking in the Kempom rankings and, uh, number six in the AP poll this week, but, uh, we'll, we'll check in back soon. And until then go who's. iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. 10R is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. 
So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-Mobile to learn more or visit a store today.